1: Hello, Gabby Roslin here. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. In this episode, I chat to my gorgeous and incredibly talented superstar friend, Luke Evans. Oh, I love this man. We talk about the Welsh language, knowing that he wanted to be an actor from a young age. James Bond, his friendship with Josh Gad and how much Melissa McCarthy makes him laugh. We, of course, talk all about Beauty and the Beast and his brand new Disney Plus series, Little Town, all about Gaston and LeFou. Plus, we talk about the success of the Pembrokeshire Murders, which you can now watch on the ITV Hub and Britbox. And it really is brilliant. Also, the sexiest male sing-off he did with Usher and James Corden. And yes, he also gives us a song or two in this episode. Now, please, can I ask you a favour? Would you mind, please, subscribing by pressing the subscribe or follow button on the show? And then if you wouldn't mind, rate and review on Apple Podcasts, which is the purple app on your iPhone or iPad. You simply scroll down to the bottom of all of the episodes and you'll see the stars where you can tap to rate and press write a review. It would mean the world to us. Thank you so much. when I first met you I sort of went a bit silly (laughs) and you know I love you so let's just get it out of the way
2: (laughs) let's get the love fest started shall we
1: oh god I love you listen I've been practicing am I getting my pronunciation right you were born in Ababargoid
2: oh I love the rolling of the R Gabby that really is that's spot on my love
1: yes
2: spot on
1: we can say goodbye now I'm a happy woman (laughs) yes
2: (laughs) well done well done
1: speak do you speak Welsh? Are you are, are you bilingual?
2: Um, no, I'm not, sadly. I can I can read it and I can I can pronunciate exactly correctly. Um but I'm not a fluent Welsh speaker. No, sadly not. Oh it's such
1: a beautiful language.
2: It is a beautiful language and, and what's lovely about the Welsh language is it's it's thriving in Wales. Um they have managed to have more Welsh speakers in, in Wales now than there was when I was a kid. Um, so it's, it's, and it's, it's such a beautiful language. It's very unusual and it doesn't sound like any other language. And it sounds wonderful when it's sung.
1: So do you sing in Wel- Welsh?
2: Yes, absolutely. Brought up singing, you know. You can't go to a rugby match if you don't know a Welsh hymn. Oh,
1: oh, You've got singing a, Welsh. Oh, a little bit of singing Welsh, Welsh singing, oh. singing.
2: Okay, um... Nid oin govin bawit I ay rabid na bel man. maan. Govin oif am galon hapist, galon on ist galon tla. Galon tla na tlaan daioni, a you na lilit los. <gasps> that's a song called Lân. Do
1: you know what's so funny is I have no idea what you were saying, but I was loving it and smiling all the way through. Oh, that's so beautiful. It's such a... I know everybody always goes on about the, the Welsh languages. So it's so... Even when you speak and when Welsh people speak... It's just, it's so sing-songy. And I have to say, I, th- I think the Welsh are the most welcoming, lovely people. One of my dearest friends is Welsh. She's a Welsh-speaking Welsh person, and she's just so warm. I think
2: because we're such a small country, and I think we've we've always welcomed visitors, we've always... I think we're a curious bunch of people. We're quite... I say curious... Could be nosy, I mean, but curious is a bit of a nice way to say it. We, we ask a lot of questions. We want to know where you're from. I, I mean, when I've ever taken my mum and dad to an event or or to or they they meet a group of people and I've left them alone. By the time I've come back, they they know they know more about that person than I do. And I've spent six months working with that person. You know, it's like they 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 managed to get a lot of information out of people, <laughs> and they just want to know who they are. You know, and I I like that about about Wales. It's, it's, a, it's a very welcoming place, and. Um, yeah, we're, we're a happy bunch.
1: I remember speaking to your mum. We set you up We we when you were on the radio show live and we spoke to your mum live and she was lovely because you told us a story about how you practice singing um, songs to her on FaceTime. Is that right?
2: Yeah, yes, we did. Do
1: you still do that with your mum?
2: Well, I haven't done it for a while because I haven't had to, I haven't been doing that much singing recently. Um, but... Um, I, I do. I always keep keep them involved in everything I do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the bits I know they're going to find interesting. Other than that, I wouldn't bother. Yes, I was
1: going to say everything.
2: She's not that interested. <laughs> Some things I keep to myself.
1: <laughs> so what I love as well is you always talk about the support that they showed you because, um, okay, your dad was a bricklayer, your mum was a cleaner and you just went, this is what I want to do. And they were just supportive from the get go. And that, that is so powerful and so important, and so many people don't get that.
2: Yeah, well, I think, you know, I, to be honest, they didn't really have much choice in the matter. I was going to go and do this. I was going to go and try and find a life as a performer, as an actor, as a as a musical theatre actor, as anything that I could do, that something that I loved to do and I wanted to work out if I could make a wage doing it, and I was fortunate enough to win a win a scholarship to go to college. And you know, once that ball was rolling, it was it was serious stuff. You know, and when you know going to college and it being paid for by a scholarship, you know, I took it very seriously. I knew this is an opportunity that I had been given, and uh, my mum and dad were there to to uh, support me and help they helped me out all the way through. And now it's payback time.
1: <laughs> well that's so lovely though so many people don't get that support and i think support is so you know it's so important you've got that with a lot of friends as well i mean i love one of my favorite things so when i i, I sort of d- did a deep dive into luke evans world which i love doing and i have to say all i have done is listen to your songs as you know i I usually message you go oh, i'm listening to you singing this yeah <laughs> i go very softly. but but um it's so lovely the friendships you have like with josh gad you and josh gad what a bromance. How cool are you doing? Yeah. You're gonna be working together again.
2: Josh is just he's a delight. You know, anytime I'm I I'm, I'm talking to um, you know, producers or directors or or fellow actors that have worked with Josh, the smile that comes on their faces when they talk about him. And it it's true, he's just a ray of light. And um he's um he's he's someone I'm gonna have in my life for a long, long time. Work-wise and as a friend, yeah. And when we finished uh Beauty and the Beast oh we were we were just inseparable we were traumatized by the fact we wasn't going to come into work and dress up as Gaston and LeFou and make people laugh and um we said that day we made it pact that we were going to find something else to do together and uh <clears throat> it took us about 2 years i think before uh the the light bulb went off primarily in Josh's head and then we came up with this brilliant concept of uh, an origin story of the Gaston LeFou and other new characters and and where would that have started and how did they become the people that we met in the film? Um, and the seed was planted then and, and now we are in full flow to the final script to do a series for Disney+. Plus. And uh, we couldn't be happier about it because firstly, we're going to be working, which has been something that a lot of us haven't done for a while. Or, or a lot of it because of the COVID year. And, um, and uh, we're going to work together again and hopefully do something magical that will entertain families and everyone who, who loved uh, the story and who also enjoyed our performances as the characters of Gaston and Fou and then all these wonderful new characters which we've coloured the whole story with, which uh, we're really excited about.
1: And are you going to be singing, of course, again? Yes.
2: Uh, well, that was a primary... Attraction for, for both of us is that we will. This this has to be a singing uh, show. So uh, yeah, th- there will be songs in it, um, written by none other than Mr. Alan Menken, the multi Oscar-winning uh, uh, writer who who wrote uh, Aladdin, uh, Little Mermaid, uh, Beauty and the Beast, Little Shop of Horrors, to name just a few. So we feel. Well, we've struck gold with having Alan say yes and be part of it and he's as excited as we are. So yeah, it's really, it's it's really exciting.
1: Oh my word, Luke, I, I mean this is huge. Are you producing it as well? So you're involved in in the behind the yes.
2: scenes? Yes. Well, we have been involved from the from the literally from the second uh the concept was started and, and we began the journey and as a producer, which is something I've done more and more over the last few years. It gives you more insight, and you're involved in the development of the script and casting, and so many, many things. And obviously, you're involved in the, in the meetings and the calls with Disney Plus, and, and it's just wonderful because you your ideas are, are put into the story. Because you're not just the actor that gets a script and you have to decide whether you want to do it or not, and you turn up on the first day and you start shooting. You're involved in everything else, and that, as as I as I've gone on in my career, has become a real bonus uh, and, and an asset to the final product there uh, is part of what we've done so yeah it's it's very exciting to be a producer on it as well
1: yeah. oh congratulations does does josh know that he's going to be wor- uh, working with the uh, man of the year though last year you were man well, of the year i mean have you told him he's got to treat you differently now you are man of the year
2: well um i bring all my awards to set every day and <laughs> they sit on a little table next to my chair just with a hot, with a spotlight on them. So they're very difficult to avoid.
1: <laughs> I love that. And also, of course, one of my other favourite things, I think uh, as a family, we must have watched it he- so many times. Now you're going to think, what is she, where is she going? I'm going with the sexy vocal riff off with James Corden and Usher. And then oh, yeah. you come in between those two. I don't, I, I honestly, every time, I watch it because I know you in real life. I cheer. I cheer louder each time. It gave me an excuse to watch it again. I mean, there is. I love the way you are so happy to go in there. You sing. And also you, you joke around and you're really good at taking the piss out of yourself.
2: I mean, you can't really not take the piss out of yourself when you go on a James Corden show. Because if you don't take the piss out of yourself, there's a true fact that he's going to take the piss out of you. So you may as well get there first. I was there to promote um, Professor Marston and the Wonder Women, um, a movie that I brought out a few years ago. And James had, uh, he called me up and he said, I've got this brilliant idea. Are you up for it? We're going to do like a sing-off, a riff-off with Usher. And I was like, with Usher? He said, yeah, we're going to compete against each other and you're going to win. And I'm like, hold on a minute. Is Usher okay with this? Like, is he okay to play the game that... I'm gonna sing and I'm gonna be the final. He's like, oh no, no, he's totally up for it, which says a lot about who Usher is as a person. He's a great human being, and uh, we went in that afternoon and we did a, we did one rehearsal, and it just sort of worked really well. And then the audience came in and we went and did it for real, and it it just it just worked. And I think you know because I've known James a long time, and James is. Such a lovely guy. And we've worked together. We did a movie. We did the Three Musketeers together, which is where we solidified our friendship. And we've always had a very fun friendship. And, and he knew that we can sing. I mean, in the evenings when we were doing Three Musketeers, we'd be in the, the hotel bar singing Take That um, duets around the piano entertaining the, the hotel guests, you know. So we, we've sung together many times. But um, yeah, it, it came over really well. It's been viewed something crazy, right? Like 20-something million times, 24 million times or something?
1: It's millions and millions, but I think probably <clears throat> we've done about 21 million of those as a house, if that's okay.
2: Thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll talk about all the films you've done and the TV and we're going to talk about Pembrokeshire Murders because here in the UK, it was the biggest show. I mean, for, for it was incredible. Everyone was talking about it. The ratings were massive and you were brilliant in it. And Keith Allen was chilling.
2: Yes, I mean Keith is a, is a softie, really. I'm not. You hate me telling you this, but he's such a lovely, lovely man. But my God, he can play a baddie well.
1: I think it was so beautifully done because, as well, you know, you're, when you're talking, I think ITV do those real stories so brilliantly. God, what a story! Blimey.
2: I mean, it, it's just uh, well, it's <clears throat> it's one of the worst criminal stories uh, Wales has uh, has had, and uh, the fact that it was a cold case and this man went. Um, without being charged for so many years is extraordinary. And um, I think that's the thing that gripped me the most, I think, was the, how the in, the endeavors of the police and specifically of the character I was playing, this man, uh, Detective Superintendent Steve Wilkins, the confidence and the bravery of opening opening a cold case, sifting through evidence and paperwork that had been looked at many, many times before, and they had failed at finding the killer, to go back in and think that you were gonna find something that they missed is a is a huge task. And um for anyone who does it, when when the police do open in a cold case, it must be a, a daunting task. But um they did it, and then the twists and the turns, but it, it just blew my mind when I read it the first time. I just couldn't I couldn't believe it. I had to go and check it all out myself because I thought surely this must be embellished for dramatic purpose, you know. But no the way we told it and how it was done is exactly how it happened. And there was a containment to the story, which I think benefited the story and gave it a sense of realism and authenticity because it, it wasn't about guns and gore and, 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 you know, showing photographic evidence or any of that. It didn't need it because the information and the characters and how we portrayed them were true to life as to how they, how they, how it happened. And, it it gripped everybody i think it just was done in a very respectful way but also with it didn't need any of the stuff that we get so thrown in our faces so often with these um real life dramas you know you you want to see the shocking stuff but it didn't need that because we had all the information and the way we delivered it gave everybody what they needed to be transfixed by what was a very gripping tragic story
1: i think in in And I mean, this is a huge compliment. I think you surprised a lot of people because we've seen, you know, people have seen you as the big movie star in, you know, The Hobbit and Clash of the Titans and Fast and Furious. And we'll we'll pick up and talk again about some of those. And and obviously Beauty and the Beast that we've spoken about. But I think that this surprised a lot of people. I think people don't imagine that movie stars, as that's how you're perceived, although I first saw you on stage, but movie stars, um, that they can then bring it down. and you it was very, it was, it was very subtle. I mean, it was, and I think people were surprised. Did that, How do you feel when people react like that to seeing you doing something like that?
2: Well, it, it's, it's exactly why I, I, I try and find roles that um, allow me to show a different part of my abilities as an actor. You know, it, if you just play one character, people just get so used to it. I'm not, you know, they might keep watching, but you can predict what I would do if I was playing the same role. So, the challenge is always looking for those roles, which I can put on a different mask or physically feel different or, and you know, it's the story, but it's the character. And this one was definitely something I'd never done. And uh, I knew that I'd be able to bring something, something different to the role. And also remember we could speak to the real people. I spent many hours with Steve Wilkins, the, the actual man, and he's a, um, such a such a gentleman, and, and offered so much information to help me, you know, layer this character and, and understand the containment of of an interrogation scene. Like you, you, you have to keep your emotions intact. You have to contain them as much as you probably are disgusted by this suspect that you're sitting in front of this this murderer who you know has murdered these people, but still we can't catch him. There, there's no you. You're not allowed to raise your voice or attack or shout or show emotion. And so that was a really interesting thing because, you know, as an actor, emotion is a lot of it. But this was about containing it and and keeping stoic. Well, you were superb. Congratulations
1: again on that. I've read a quote, you tell me if it's wrong, that you say that you you should take little opportunities and then go with it. So when you're offered these little opportunities, you have to say yes and go with it. Are you always like that?
2: Yes, I think opportunities are important. You've got to... um, you can't take any opportunity for granted. I mean, not all opportunities you take. I mean, sometimes it, they don't work out or sometimes it's just not the right opportunity. But you've got to um, balance out all of them and and, and work out which ones are going to benefit you and which ones are going to challenge you. And I do lots of different things. I think it's interesting to mix it all up and uh, never get comfortable. As an actor, I think when you're comfy, you stop developing, you stop challenging yourself. And I think it's important to... Jump off the deep end sometimes or take opportunities or or things that come to you that you weren't necessarily planning to do. Cause sometimes they open other doors or they give you other opportunities to to do things. And that's sort of how I'm working and it's how I've always been, to be honest, with just life in general.
1: But that's a great way to be. You know, not so it's not just about uh, work, but in, in everything you do, if you go traveling, cause we know, you know, you, uh, you were in Australia, you have been in Australia for, for a, a long time.
2: Well, yeah. And, and let me tell you, um, I feel that's one I, I will feel very fortunate that I took because, um, you know, in, in, in late June, I'm, I was able to fly to a country where there was almost zero COVID the whole time I was there. And, uh, as much as we had to uh, in um, you know work with the re- regulations and restrictions of masks and things like that our daily life in Byron Bay was almost uh almost normal i mean there was um there was obviously some restrictions but nothing compared to what uh, the uk has had to endure um and the job was wonderful by the way it was one of the most fun rewarding experiences i'd had and i was living in this beautiful part of Australia, which was just like a Byron Bay is like an old uh, uh, hippie uh, town when now it's a huge surfer location, but it's still beautiful and there's beaches and mountains and hiking and waterfalls. So my spare time was spent, you know, hiking and swimming in waterfalls and sunbathing and going to the beach and trying to learn to surf, which I am absolutely crap at and enjoy the whole experience. And also, I became much braver because I didn't have my, f- I, I travel often with my one of my best friends who who works with me. And so he keeps me company, you know, so, you know, sometimes it can be lonely on the road and we've been working together for like five years now. He wasn't with me because COVID didn't allow us to take people with us. So I had to sort of be brave. And so I started sort of saying hi and, and going out for dinners with people I'd met. Like I met them some friends at this gym I was going to and they said, oh, we're going to the beach on Saturday. Do you want to come? And I was like, well, in a normal world, I would never go with a bunch of strangers. I have no idea who you are, you know. And I thought, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to start making some friends. And it was the best thing I ever did because sometimes, you know, in in this industry, the the bigger you get, sometimes you you start getting a little conscious of people recognizing you and you get a little self-conscious. And I thought... No, no, no! I'm just a normal human being. There's, there's the Luke inside me that I know that will take the opportunity to go and meet new people and make friends in this place you don't know anybody, and that's what I did, and I had the best time. I, I did things in Byron with with people that did. I did the Byron life. I lived the Byron life, and and now I have a wonderful like group of friends up there that um I, I can visit whenever I want, and and then I moved to Sydney and. And I did the same thing there and it was nice. And most of the Australians are great because they're not really that fussed about celebrity and all of that. They get over it very quickly. And so I just was myself and they quite quickly were like, oh, I keep forgetting that you you were Dracula. I keep forgetting that you were Gaston. I was like, yeah, well, you know, it's a wonderful job, but I'm just a normal human being and just like to, you know, hang out with people and have fun. And also, I don't know if you've ever been. I'm sure you have. You've been to Sydney, right?
1: I've never been to Australia. Oh,
2: my God. Let me tell you, like, take the family Go for a month, travel, get a camper van, go to the Blue Mountains, see all the harbour beaches, go on the ferries from Circular Quay, look at the opera house, the bridge, and it is just the most magical place. And the, the weather's fantastic. I mean, there's a couple of sharks every now and again, you just gotta watch for them. But you know, in general, the experience there was was just wonderful. I, I yeah, I could live there. I literally could move back.
1: What's so interesting is that knowing you in real life as well you and i've spoken about that sort of that embarrassment and that that shyness that we both have and people don't believe it of you because they see you like you say as this movie star and this great smile and a great laugh and and garrulous and everything and also because when you were a, a child and how you you weren't happy at school and that you were bullied yeah I, it's quite amazing to hear. I, I've never heard you speak like you are about when you talk about Australia. It's like you've sort of, it's like you've sort of taken off this layer and gone, "Hello, this is me."
2: Yeah, I did, I did, and it was a really good idea to do that because um, it just, um, just well, it also gave me confidence in myself as well. That uh, you know, just because people know who you are and you might get a little, they're a little odd with you when they first meet you because they they can't understand why you'd be talking to them or why you'd be coming to a dinner that you don't know anybody at. But after they get over that, well, firstly, it reinstates with them that I'm just an, I'm just another human being, you know, just trying to make my way in this world. And, uh, and for me, it was like, yeah, good on you, Luke. You did something that you wouldn't necessarily do if you had your friends around, you'd probably stick to your, you know, the ones, you know, and and stick to the the familiarity and, and you didn't, and it paid off because you've made great friends and, um, I think it's a it's a bit of a life lesson for me, and at forty one, that's uh, always good to get a life lesson at my age.
1: Oh, listen, learning is one of the greatest things. How, do you how do you feel about the way the press are obsessed with your private life? You're secretive about your life. It's not like you go out there and you go, well, "Hey, look what I've done or what I'm doing." But my God, they're obsessed with it. When I was when I was doing all my research, even though I, we know each other, I was doing. I wanted to watch stuff and see stuff. I just thought. Leave him alone. That's how I felt. I felt suddenly overprotective mm. towards you. It was. It's extraordinary what they're like.
2: But yeah, I'm amazed that you know they haven't got anything better to do than to follow my my life. It's like whatever. I mean, it's just and they get it wrong so much. <laughs> um, so in the end, it's it's almost a joke. I mean, most of the time, none of it is accurate, and they get it wrong on a daily basis, which always makes me giggle and makes all our friend my friends giggle as well. You know, it's just like. No, oh, well, they think this is happening in your life today, and I'm like it's just extraordinary, and it's it's fodder for their pages online, and it, they just want to sensationalize things. And it it used to bother me, you know, before, but not so much now. I mean, I'm 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 happy. I'm I've got a great life. I've got good people around me. I get to do the thing that I love, and I just take it with a pinch of salt and just carry on. And there's no reason for it to bother us anymore, you know. I just it's just. Um, the only problem with it, I sometimes, you know, with people who read it, they, they you know, as we've all done, we've all been culprits of this, where you start to build your own picture of somebody that you know nothing about. All you've read about them is in in, you know, gossip pages or the Daily Mail or whatever, which is never accurate. And people build up pictures. And so then, you know, if you do meet these people, sometimes they have a very warped view of who you are or what they think you're going to be like. And. That's what's happened to me in, over my traveling the last seven months. You know, some people met me They're like, my God, I, I didn't think you'd be like this. I'm like, well, what did you think I'd be like? And they were like, well, you know, we read this and we read that. And I'm like, well, you shouldn't read any of that stuff. It's like most of it's it's rubbish. So um, but, you know, um, I don't let it bother me.
1: Let's start this one. OK, let's start this rumor. All the papers are going to pick up with it because it's true that you're going to be the next James Bond. <laughs> Let's go with oh, it. Good. Go with it. Come on. So, oh, oh congratulations, Luke, on uh being <laughs> James Bond. How does it feel?
2: <laughs> I'm a little shaken, but I'm not stirred.
1: Always <laughs> oh, good. Would you do it if they <laughs> asked you? And that's a really odd question. But there was a, an actor um I interviewed recently who's on the list and um you know the, the this imaginary list. And that the papers do. And I said yeah. to him, would you do it? And he said, no, I wouldn't. I was so taken aback. Would you do it if they asked you? Hell yeah. Good.
2: I think I've done, uh, I think I've cut my teeth very well in in, in movies I've done. And I, I've loved every second of it. And I mean, it's a it's a phenomenal franchise. It's an incredible role. I have to say, though, it's a daunting task to for any actor who will play the role after Daniel Craig.
1: You would be brilliant. You also know Barbara Broccoli, so I can see it happening.
2: Well, just throw it out there and you never know. No one knows what's happening. It's a very secretive process and uh, it's a wonderful role. And um, I would jump at the chance, but uh, as would many other actors in my position. So we shall see. It'll be an exciting casting moment for the Bond production. And um, I wish whoever gets it the best of luck
1: feeling you might have been contacted the way you're talking.
2: <laughs> it's not true.
1: Look, <laughs> when did you pass your driving test?
2: Oh, Gabby! Gabby! You have to bring this up? Yes, I do. Uh, OK. Um, so, well, firstly, when you move to London at 17 to go to college, firstly, you have no money for driving lessons. And secondly, who needs to who needs a car when you're in college? You just catch the tube. So... And then I moved to Charing Cross Road, where I lived for seven years during my theatre years. So I walked to my theatre every night and I lived and breathed everything in Soho and the West End and had the most amazing time. And then when I was at the Donmar, I signed with an agent in America, with William Morris and... um, they were adamant that after I finished my show, the Piaf at the Donmar Warehouse, I would go to America and I would have to spend a few months there because I needed to go and do all the meet and greets and meet the producers and casting directors and directors and studio heads and all the people that, you, that would know a single thing about me. I had to go and do that. And I had to find somewhere to live. And also, L.A., you, can, you cannot do anything in L.A. unless you can drive. So I was like, okay, well, this is the moment I have to go. And I was 28. So I uh, started having lessons. I hadn't even passed my theory. I took a crash course. I did uh, five lessons, did my theory test, and then I went and passed my test first time. And so, yeah, I was 28 when I passed my driving test. Then I didn't drive a car for another year. And then I got on a plane after I finished my show, got off the plane, went to a rental car place and picked up a car. And I got in the passenger's side because I didn't realize that it was on the other side of the road. I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh, you didn't think this one through. But, you know, um, driving in America is quite simple. Driving in California is very simple. The roads are super wide. But I have to say it was a terrifying journey from LAX to uh, West Hollywood where I was staying with a friend. Let me tell you, it was uh, terrifying. My hands were so wet, they were slipping off the steering wheel. I was in so much fear. <laughs>
1: I don't know why that amuses me so much, but it really does. It is LA life. So going up for all those meetings and everything that, Mm. I mean, you were just saying there that you went to Australia and you were on your own and, and without uh, your mate and you went out and you discovered new places. My God, being an actor who's been in the West End and done, done all of that and lived there, going to LA and doing all of those meet and greets, that's, that
2: takes balls. Well, it was like starting again. It was like going back to the drawing board and going, okay, so you're 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 doing something you've never done. You're meeting studio heads and and you know Los Angeles people who you know are a very different breed. They they know they they live, breathe uh, movies and television. And so I, I was learning on my feet, and I relished the opportunity to to learn something new and adapt to it very quickly. But uh, you know, every morning I would. I'd have my list of places I would be going Warner brothers and then 20th century Fox and I'd be meeting a casting director and I'd have it all written down on a piece of paper and I'd have all the sat nav details so I could put it in my car and then I would drive to each one with my ID. And I used to wear like a pair of jeans and leather boots and look the part and a good t-shirt, maybe a, a leather jacket, giving them an idea of, you know, I could be an actor as a leading actor or something. And uh, just went and met all these people and tried to be authentic and bring the my british but mostly a welsh sensibility to the meeting so that they could see something of me and uh, that's what i did and I, I had no idea whether it was going to go anywhere it just it was the way it was and i enjoyed it <clears throat> i loved it and the weather was great and i started to enjoy driving a car as well it was uh, very fun
1: <laughs> my god though it does take it does take courage and it also takes a real inner drive and belief and following your dreams because you and I have spoken about it before and it following your dreams is such if you're able to and able to to keep going at it isn't it the greatest gift
2: it really is and sometimes it can be hard and sometimes you can lose all hope and and belief in yourself because it's not it doesn't happen the way you thought it would happen or it takes longer certainly didn't come overnight for me definitely I mean I I, I worked very hard during my theatre years, doing many other things, not just my theatre job. I'd have worked a uh, day jobs that you know, so that I could save some more money. And I worked at Harrods. I was a mystery shopper. I worked in a restaurant. I worked on the door of a nightclub. I had my own band. I did a. I worked at a PR company where I would look after chefs and celebrities I'd never heard of, and um, oh, I did anything. I would do anything um, as long as I, I just needed to, you know, uh, pay my rent and and try and save some money. So. And also I always think I always used to think of it as, as an actor. Though this is sort of like another experience. You can you can bank this experience and if you ever have to play someone like this or or feel, you know, this 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 feeling, you've you've just done it for real. So I used to look at it as a sort of um a research a research job for an actor.
1: <laughs> You're very thankful, aren't you? You're very grateful for I, I you know, I get that from you whenever whenever I see you interviewed or when I speak to you. Um and and it's you're, you're very grateful for, for a lot of things, aren't
2: you? Yeah, well, I think, you know, getting success later in life, um, which usually means you've had experience where you've struggled or you haven't had success, which uh, comes down to mo- lots of things. You haven't got monetary issues and all of those things and worrying about how you're going to pay the rent or are you going to save money or where you're going to be in 10 years' time or how you're going to look after your parents and how's, you know, all those things. I dealt with all of those things, and they worried me, they worried me often and um so any step in the right direction and any kind of success I didn't ever take for granted, I still don't and it's paid off because people that met me twenty years ago, or my friends when they see me now, they always say, my god you you have not changed you're still you're still the the happy idiot we knew when we were teenagers, which i I'm glad that I hear that because, um, you know, you don't have to change with success. You, In fact, you know, keeping your feet grounded and keeping good people that you've known a long time around you, they help remind you of where you were, where you've come from and how far you've come, but to be grateful for every step of it too. You know, so.
1: Do you still practice French and Saunders sketches?
2: <laughs> I'm sure they're in there somewhere. I could totally bring them out. I mean, uh, I haven't done them for a while, but I do have moments when I miss home or I miss just... British life and British comedy and, um, you know, the wonderful joy of YouTube means it's just a, a couple of taps on your iPhone and you can watch a clip of something. I was only watching an interview uh, with uh, Kenneth Williams last night and uh, and it was, you know, just made me giggle and, uh, yeah, you know.
1: That's so weird. Are you, uh, I, no, that's really weird because I got a text from a friend of mine last night who's on his own and he's filming. It's not you, <laughs> but it's bizarre. <laughs> But but last night, and he texted me uh, here in UK time at midday, and said, "I'm sitting here watching Kenneth Williams interviews." How funny is that? How weird is that?
2: Maybe there's an algorithm that's uh, he's popped up on on uh, on Instagram or something. Um, what's the wonderful actress? What's the what's the wonderful actress? Um, I've forgotten it. name. Patricia Rutledge.
1: Yes, yes. And
2: she she used to do the. Um, the sketch where she was that lady who oh who, Victoria
1: um, on Victoria Wood
2: yes yes and uh, she makes me giggle I have a good old giggle at that too I like all the old comedy it's just so wonderfully written and obviously Victoria anything Victoria Wood did was uh, was was a joy and is a joy to watch
1: they're rerunning um, Dinner Ladies at the moment and I was watching it again yeah. oh my god it's funny
2: it's very funny very very funny. Julie Walters and all those kinds. Two
1: soups. Uh, you led me perfectly into, because we ask everybody in this podcast, what makes you properly laugh? Now I've seen you utterly lose it at something, um, but you (sighs) love the giggle. So what makes you properly laugh, apart from Josh Gad and Victoria Wood and all these people, what makes you really lose it laughing?
2: Oh, um, well, uh, (laughs) I do have a terrible tendency to... (laughs) To enjoy Schadenfreude. So Schadenfreude, I mean, I only know this word because I was in a musical called Avenue Q where there was actually a song about Schadenfreude. <laughs> um, and it's a German word and um, the German language of very specific words for very specific things. And Schadenfreude is the word for happiness at the misfortune of others. Now that doesn't sound very nice, but if you think about, um, there's a video on, online on YouTube of a woman who's at the fun fair a traveling fun for her, and she's on the sort of the crazy, the crazy floor. And then the steps disappear and she's falling and she can't stand up. I, 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 I can laugh so hard at that, that sometimes a little pee comes up. <laughs> you know, if somebody slips and falls in the pool or, or, oh, I don't know, just, it just those things just make me giggle. They've always made me giggle. I remember when I was a kid, I'd be at my cousin's house and he'd be t- being told off, by his mother. And I'd, I'd start laughing. And she'd be like, you don't, don't you laugh? Cause you'll be getting a slap too. You know, it would, I just, uh, I've always had that. I don't know what it is. I don't know. Maybe it's the uh, only child syndrome.
1: I'm exactly the same. And I love it when so many of my guests, Robbie Williams uh, was saying exactly the same, but it's so lovely when somebody else is like you, because my favorite thing is, is somebody walking into a tree or slipping over. I saw
2: somebody the other day. I mean, it was, it was late in the evening so and maybe he was a, he was a little drunk but he was on his iPhone and he was he walked straight into a lamppost. <laughs> <Yes>.
0: <laughs> oh
2: and um, I was I, I, and he looked at me as I was laughing and I was I'm so sorry and then he was like no 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 it's really funny <laughs> and then he started to laugh too.
1: <laughs> oh oh I tell you the other night I was opening a cupboard in the dark and I had my 14 year old daughter with me and she was talking to me talking to me and like I turned my head and I smacked the cupboard into my face (laughs) but really hard I got such a shock that the tin of soup I was holding I dropped it and I went and my daughter started laughing and was trying not to laugh and she was going I'm sorry mum and then she realised that I was on the floor laughing at myself (laughs) because I said hold on if I'm laughing at other people that do that then I've only got I've got to be able to laugh at myself as well oh it's my favourite thing Mm.
2: Yeah laughing at oneself is very good therapy.
1: Oh so what do you do if you lose it on a set?
2: Oh my god it's it's ridiculous. I mean let me tell you working with Melissa McCarthy it's a very difficult thing if you're doing a serious scene let me tell you I Melissa makes me giggle all the time. It's just and 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 Bobby Cannavale as well like those two together on a film set it is it's impossible. So you just have to get it all out and then try and get through the scene. Um, and we had a scene in uh, Nine Perfect Strangers where I had to say this line. And it reminded all of us of another line, which I can't remember right now. But it it wasn't something that I was saying, but it sounded like I was saying this line. And every time they ran into the room and they said, what's happening? I'd say this line. And before I got to the end of it, everybody burst out laughing. I and mean, It took us about 20 goes before we actually could do it, you know. And that's that's a joy. I mean, not a joy for the cameraman, the director and the camera operator who's, you know, waiting for us to get through it so we can go to the next scene. But you have to laugh. You've got to, you've got to break the ice sometimes.
1: Laughter is the best medicine. Um, Liv, before we go, I hope you don't mind. And uh, you know, I listen, in every interview you sing, and I know you've already sung for us, but you did a rendition and uh, Katie, um, uh, the producer of this, I was saying before we were talking to you and I was playing it for her. Honestly, there's, so there's one song that one day I want you to record, which is um, uh, Lady, which is such a beautiful song. Lady, I'm your knight in shining armor. You would just sing that so beautifully. So that's Kenny Rogers' song. Mm-hmm. So one day, please, will you record it?
2: Okay, done.
1: Okay, thank you. I'm gonna, actually going to keep you to that. I'm yeah, not, I'm no, I know. S-
2: you have the memory of an elephant, so there's no chance you're going to forget that.
1: I really do. But also, you did a recording of my, one of my very favourite songs on the planet, which is first time ever I saw your face.
2: Oh, it's beautiful.
1: Oh, can you just sing a little bit for us now, please?
2: Um, I can try, because it's 9.30 in the morning here. Thank you, Gabby.
1: Choosing
2: a <laughs> very hard song to sing. <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you, it is my fav- most favourite song, and... Uh, I've been singing it since I was 12 years old when I bought the CD from Woolworths with Roberta Flack. Her face was on the cover. I didn't know who she was. And that was the first song on the album and it's um, stuck with me ever since. And um, I've heard many renditions of it, but no one sings it like Roberta. Um, And Roberta follows me on Instagram now and I've had a sort of, uh, I've had a little dialogue with her over the past year and a half since she heard my version of it and, I mean, that was just like a moment I'll never forget. It's, yeah, yeah, it was very, very lovely. <clears throat> the first time ever I saw your face, I thought the sun rose in your eyes and the moon. The stars were the gifts you gave to the dark and the empty skies.
1: Oh God, I love you. <laughs> oh, Luke, do you know what you really are? You are an absolute joy, and and. In every single way you really are, because you're a genuinely good guy. You've got this beautiful soul. You've got a a sweetheart and you're just a a regular person. And that I think that's what I've I've become over the years that I've known you. I've become terribly, Mm. it's a very odd thing to say I've become protective of you. I feel like you as I do about Mm. Robbie Williams. I've known Robbie since he was 15. And I feel the same about you because I just think that you're, I'm so pleased that people are getting to see the real you. And when they listen to Mm. this as well, this is, you're, you're a lovely soul. You really are. And you're so talented. And please send your parents, my love.
2: Gabby, this is very sweet things to say. And I I appreciate every time we get to speak because um, you are a friend and it's, it's lovely to have somebody that thinks of me protectively because uh, we all need protecting every now and again. And, uh, I really appreciate it. So um, thank you very much. Thank you. And I will say hello to my mum and dad. Well, they'll be listening to this. So uh, hello, Dave and Yvonne. Love, how are you doing in Abba Bargoid?
1: I, I, I do, I'm going to practice again in Abba Bargoid.
2: Poor buggers. They haven't left the house in months.
1: I oh, know. Bless them. It won't be long now. It won't be long.
2: No, we we have light at the end of the tunnel and we've, uh, and thank God for that. Yeah,
1: what a year. What a year, but you make it all better. Bless you, my lovely. You take good care of yourself and I'll speak to you very soon.
2: You you too. Take care. Lots of love.
1: That Gabby Rawls podcast is proudly produced by Cameo Productions. Music by Beth Macari. Could you please press the follow button or the subscribe button and each new episode will come straight to your phone on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you choose to listen. It's also incredibly helpful, if you wouldn't mind, if you could please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Now, you do this by scrolling to the bottom of all the episodes and press tap to rate and write a review. Thank you so much.